I don't know what's funny about that. So now you have to tell me. What are you laughing at? <laughs> I broke him. I, I've been cracking up about this since like two days ago when I, I saw it. It's it, it's a shot of a sign. It says it's supposed to say we're not happy till you're happy, but like the way the words are laid out and spaced, oh, I've seen it this. looks like it's saying we're you're not till not happy, and then it shows. It shows a screenshot of Captain America getting beaten up in an elevator by everyone from the Civil War movie. And everyone's face says, we're you're not till not happy. But Captain America says, we're not happy till you're happy. <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny. But I've just been dying over I it. I feel like Aaron is not on task today. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just hacked my brain. <sighs> okay. Well, hello, ladies and germs. This is episode number 47. That's a really hacky way of introducing anything these days. It's a little antiquated. It's like, terms. isn't it like a 1940s comedian? Uh, ladies and joins. Yeah, yeah, I think it's like a, maybe even a vaudeville throwback. I think I need to, I, I need to actually put some effort into coming up with an intro, because <laughs> if, if I stay down this path, uh, nothing nothing good can come up with it. Folks, you're listening to the Drunken UX Podcast, I'm your host, Michael Feenan. <laughs> I'm your other host, Aaron Hill. Good morning, good evening, good night, whatever time you're listening to this show. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. That's a Jim <laughs> Quick Carry quote, quote. That's right. A Jim yeah, Curry show. quote. Uh Folks, this is episode number 47. <laughs> We're going to be coming at you with a uh, three-shot of different topics tonight uh, to go over everything from accessibility to CSS and some stuff in between. Uh, first and foremost, I want to make sure to uh, give a shout-out to our kind sponsors over at Porkbun. If you check them out at porkbun.com, uh, you can get a free year of a .design domain name if you use the coupon code DRUNKENUX when you check out. That's very kind of them and, and very cool. You know, it's funny. I was walking around... And I saw a restaurant and it had a sign in the window and they advertised pork bun, but not this fine company, but the actual food. Yeah. But it immediately made me think of the company, though. Believe it or not, I, I think, you know, the reference might be, though, the same. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, be sure to also connect with us. Like, you can connect with pork bun on Twitter and Facebook.com slash UX. And the Slack Connect thing works now, so you can just come find us on com slash Slack. And on the Instagiggles at Instagram.com slash podcast. I'm really proud of myself that I've gotten you to start saying Instagiggles. <laughs> you know, if I can get you to stay jife, I think we're good. <laughs> yeah, well, no no promises there. <laughs> I've got myself a, a fancy schmancy outside the box uh, Irish coffee uh, this time. <laughs> I figured that it was time to change things up just a little bit. So, And I like coffee. It, it's Same. I've got Kahlua in mine, though. Nice. Is that a Hawaiian coffee? Does that... Sure. Yeah, why not? I think we can get away with calling it that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I actually really like uh, Kahlua, if you aren't familiar. Uh, they, you know, they make different flavors. You can buy many different types of Kahlua. And okay. they have a mocha Kahlua that is Ooh. so good with hot chocolate. I bet. It, yeah. it really just... Because it, it doesn't... Since it's mocha flavored, it doesn't really change the flavor of the hot chocolate that mm -hmm. much, but it definitely gives it like a bite. 
Yeah. Nice. That's a nice, uh, good Christmas drink. I've I've done um like uh, hot chocolate grasshoppers before with um hot chocolate and creme de cacao and creme de menthe. That's pretty good. Not much of a um, mint guy. Yeah. You could uh, you could do without it. Just do the creme de cacao. Say that and again. Creme de cacao. One more time, please. Creme de cacao. Oh, that makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah, you know, my one year for for Christmas. Speaking of that, my my mom made uh, my siblings and I like homemade Kahlua. And I have the recipe. It's apparently not too hard to make that yourself, but uh, it just takes time, like a like a month of aging. Huh. Yeah. You, you can make your own scotch. It just takes a few years of aging. So, <laughs> so this week uh, I went and rustled up some different topics uh, just because I wanted to kind of change things up a little bit and 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 cover a lot of ground. the The first comes from a story that uh, we have covered before. And has new information associated with it, and so I thought that would be a fun thing to go back and and recover, but I didn't want to spend the whole episode doing it, uh, so I bolted on two more topics. Yeah. The the subject in question is dominoes, the Supreme Court, and the ADA. Yes. So, this has... We just talked about this a few episodes ago. Yeah, it was two or three episodes ago. Um, That's why I say, like, this is a very timely piece of information, as it turns Mm -hmm. out. Uh, they, for a quick background for folks who aren't familiar or haven't uh, caught up with us, this goes back to a 2016 lawsuit filed by Guillermo Robles. He basically said, I'm trying to order pizza, I'm using a screen reader, and I can't use you. <laughs> so he filed an ADA lawsuit that, as a place of public accommodation, Domino's website was not accessible and therefore needed to be. Uh, so what made this super weird and kind of uncomfortable for everybody, especially web developers, was that Domino's said, no, the ADA (laughs) doesn't say anything about websites or any digital access rights at all, and we think the Supreme Court should challenge this, or should answer this, which put a lot of people, I think, in, you know, up and on. Understandably. Yeah, it, it it was a topic, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, this was, uh, we, we talked about it, which found it, episode 43, the one we did with Jeff Matson. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah. I took the stance then, and I still kind of take it, that I don't necessarily feel that Domino's was wrong. That doesn't mean that I think their motivation is good, or that their, mm-hmm. you know, their actions are good. Just that their their legal precedent was operating mm-hmm. from a place that was understandable. Um, because I don't think that Domino's doesn't believe in accessibility. I don't think that's a thing. I have no reason to think that they do, and only like a very, very tiny reason to think they don't, and that's because they challenge us in court. However, I I, I would agree with you overall. I, I think the reason they challenged it in court was not because we don't want to make accessible stuff. Like, that. that's a f- weird phrase to even mm-hmm. say in any situation. I think they they challenged it in the... or they wanted to take it to the Supreme Court because they simply wanted the bigger question to be answered and nobody else was trying to make it so. I guess, yeah. Because they're right. They're right. The ADA doesn't specify any... because it was... It came out before accessible websites were even a thing we were talking about. Yeah. I mean, it's like the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, right? Like, that was supposed to fix things with copyright that were problems that just didn't exist 
50 years ago. But I, I think this feels a little bit like, do you need a law to tell you not to like slap someone in the face? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, do you need legislation to tell you not to be an asshole or at least to be a good steward of people who are trying to give you money? But I think the the challenge with that metaphor comes back to slapping somebody in the face is illegal. And well, if yeah, I walk it's up and assault, I mean it's battery. I mean, I, I don't need yeah. a law to tell me not to do it because there's a law against me doing it. And if if sure. I did, somebody could you know have me arrested or or sue me or mm-hmm. do whatever. And that that's the problem Domino's saw, and it's something they they quoted during this process, which is that if you're not aware, from 2017 to 2018. The number of ADA lawsuits against websites tripled in one year. Yeah, and so there's this the 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 this broader question, this bigger problem is that because it while making an accessible website is absolutely the ethically right thing to do, the mm-hmm. lack of guidance and the lack of a clear legal standard and precedent on oh. it creates a vague area for abuse because there is okay. abuse. I, I would agree with that. I, I would say if Domino's is saying we want to do the right thing, but we also want to make sure that we're doing a right thing that is considered satisfactory and we don't have enough guidelines for how to do that correctly, please tell us, you know, what we need to follow. Right. Then I would I would be on board with that. Because I, would say, I would say that's acting in good faith. Because they may satisfy uh, Mr. Robles' lawsuit, but, mm-hmm. you know, as we all know, accessibility has a lot of ground to cover and it's not just sure. about – Make your site useful to blind people. Um, right. You know, ordering a pizza can actually be a fairly complicated process when you get into multiple pizzas with multiple mm. toppings, half on one, half on the other. So you get into cognitive accessibility and yeah. things. And how do you make sure people understand that? There's a quote uh, from the Denver Channel that we'll include along with this that I, th- I think sums this up really well. Um, it says, in addition... Domino's argues that these types of lawsuits are becoming more common, and unless the legal system helps clarify the rules, companies will get mm. bogged down with so-called drive-by or surf-by lawsuits. Surf-by. <laughs> That's a little cheesy. but <laughs> I, You know, I didn't connect that with web surfing. I immediately thought of, like, on a sur- actual surfboard. Oh, yeah, no, that, not exactly what they were going for in that <laughs> instance. Uh, but, yeah. That's, that's fair. That's fair. So the the underlying thing here, I think, is is worth the discussion because at the end of the day, like I say, I I don't think Domino's is being as selfish as other people think they are. Although, of course, you know the optics of it aren't fantastic, but I think it is reasonable to say that we are absent some protections for businesses because. It's not just Domino's that's worried. You know, this is becoming more common for smaller companies too, and and smaller businesses or small municipalities. This has happened, mm-hmm. we, and we've covered this before. Uh, I believe on if it wasn't a Drunken UX, it was a real time overview episode talking about um, city websites that were getting sued, Ooh. and that sucks because if you're a small town, you likely have not committed very much money and, and don't have a lot of resources to get yeah. your your website up to standard. And Domino's did the thing that a lot of places do, which is if you want to order a pizza and you can't use our thing, call the number. Mm-hmm. And the question of, is that a reasonable accommodation at that point? You know, right. you're providing, and there's this whole like separate but equal kind of argument that comes into play with accessibility. Uh, and it's, it's a, tough thing 
to answer. If I recall, the one of the things we brought up on episode 43 was that uh, there are sometimes promos and deals that you can only get through the app or the website. Oh yeah, that you may not you might not have access to if you call. So it is a it can be a different experience overall. Like convenience aside, the the reason I think this is an important topic and why I think it needs broader answers um, has to do actually very specifically with Robles' lawsuit because his lawsuit alleges that not only was the Domino's website not accessible, but their app wasn't accessible right and yeah an app isn't a website right and the standards that govern govern these things while you can strictly speaking apply something like WCAG to an app um mm-hmm. you know they are different in the eyes of the law for the most part sure and it's it's this idea of like and and there's a thing going around right now with the e-scooters you know municipalities mm-hmm. having trouble with e-scooters or not liking them or trying to get them in. Um, we're literally <laughs> going through this here in Pittsburgh right now. And so these cities are looking at laws for e-scooters. When we went through this with Segways, in 10 years we're going to go through it with hoverboards. Like, <gasps> wait, wait, do you know something? I may have, I may know a little something. I ask that you don't share that with all the people because all right i had to go through a lot of work to get get there it's just you and me here you can tell me but that that's the problem with you know when when we talk about accessibility i think we have to start talking strictly about digital rights access sure because it's not about well we're technically an app or we're technically a website so you know such and such regulation doesn't apply to us because that is the thing that happens inevitably in law those are the distinctions that come out and people use them as a crowbar to avoid liability so okay this is a a brief tangent here but i'm going to bring it back in so this is hacktoberfest right oh it is you're right it is so you can submit pull requests if you know ruby and rails and you want to get an easy one uh shoot me a message (laughs) i I know an app (laughs) uh but so uh I've been having some discussion with some of the other core members on my project and um, about how do we write issues and what do we cover in pull request reviews. And what I've found is that the more specific you are in the issue definition of what's required and what the expectations are, then in the pull request review, when you're reviewing it, you can the scope is a lot tighter. And then the expectation of what the person submitting is they have a better idea of what what you're going to be wanting from them. And so in this case, we have Domino's and we have the court system. And Domino's is submitting a pull request or they want to submit a pull request for changes to their website or app about how they want it to be different and more accessible. But they feel that the issue wasn't really specific enough about what's required for that pull request. And so they're wanting to get clarification from the maintainers of the legal repository. Um, and that's that's kind of what this feels like a little bit. I hope that that's kind of getting the benefit of the doubt. I'm good with that for now. We'll see how they handle this after the decision. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm a big fan of trying to not ascribe more sure badness to something than is strictly <laughs> there. And and there is a you know there have been comments from Domino's that kind of reinforce this idea that you know they're just trying to get answers because yeah. they're they're worried about they're not thinking. And I don't remember if it was the the Denver Channel article or the CNBC article, but I think it was one of them had pointed out, like, Domino's isn't thinking about this case. 
They're sure. thinking about the cases two, three years from now that haven't been filed sure. yet. And that yeah. makes perfect sense. That makes a, a ton of sense. ADA trolls. Right. Um, yeah. And I want to... Oh, oh, hold on. I want to clarify that. I don't mean people who have legitimate accessibility grievances filing lawsuits. I mean people who don't actually, who aren't actually affected by it, but are just looking to sue a company. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like a copyright troll or a patent troll. Yeah, like there exactly. Are, there are people who want to take advantage. Mm. Uh, and there are people... These This exists in the accessibility community, too. There are people who are perfectly legally blind, but mm-hmm. who make their living just doing nothing but going around filing lawsuits. And mm. they aren't doing it because they want the websites to get better. They're doing it because okay. it's an easy payday. It's just the case. There are always people who will try to leverage and try to take advantage of stuff, and that's sure. that's just the nature of the beast, and we deal with that. But I think we can protect against it too. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some interesting solutions I was thinking about, like what the future of this kind of looks like. And I personally have a very jaded view of things like chatbots. Mm-hmm. I don't like them. I think they're stupid. I think they are a <laughs> bad answer to the wrong question. <laughs> I've I've never seen a chatbot implemented in something that couldn't be solved better another way. Let me put it that way. But that being said, this feels like the one area where like let's say you open up the uh the app, the yeah. the Domino's app and Domino's knows like the the way their app is set up, there's no good way to make it accessible to a blind person, let's say. But maybe sure. at the top of it, when the the phone screen reader hits it, it can say, mm-hmm. you know, or, do you want to order a pizza? And you can say yes. And it drops you, it pipelines you into a different workflow that still gives you access. So you can say, tell me the deals. And it'll read off the deals to you. I yeah. I would like to order you know, a medium pizza. Okay, what do you want on it? That's where we get into, you know, chat bots and this natural language processing stuff that could actually be the ultimate solution to these kinds of problems. You know, it's funny that the way you're like, I'm imagining what you're saying. That that would be pretty awesome. It reminds me of, do you remember the old like command line based menus like for a BBS or like an old text-based game? Yeah. When it it would present the question and then you have, numbered options and then you just have to hit the number kind of like what they eventually that became like you know phone menus when you call a automated yeah. service um it kind of is yeah yeah but something something like that but um it's i don't, I don't know it, it it feels a little bit like that but i think that it could work yeah i think it that absolutely be, could yeah. and i think the technology itself is getting there quickly mm-hmm. um i don't know that it's perfect i also don't know that it's a appreciably different from just calling the organization in question and talking to somebody except that a chat bot can handle volume where uh, you know technology scales people don't that kind of thing like uh, as somebody on a phone can only talk to one other person at a time a chat bot can talk to a thousand people at a time right Uh, right and it it, it gets us into bigger questions about you know voice apis and and voice user interfaces that's been a big Mm -hmm. topic as we get more into all of this you know, Siri and Alexa and Google Assistant and these tools, of course, you know, the the voice UI and, and discovery within those UIs. It's like mm-hmm. knowing what I can ask Alexa, like a lot of Alexa's uh, <laughs> uh, usefulness comes from guessing. Yeah. <laughs> like what yeah. what can I ask it to do today? And, you know, you can go into the app and look, of course, but 
if you don't have that in front of you, you you don't have it. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I haven't used, I, I mean, I have used Alexa, but I haven't used it much. And, but I have used Google Assistant in my car. Like I've plugged my phone into my car and it does Android Auto. And um, the first time I used it, it was, I, I was just like, I wonder if I can say this. And it was like, play this song by this artist on Spotify or something. And it did it. And it was like, whoa. <laughs> They're they're generally pretty good, and like I say, that's why I say it's good. It's getting better. I think the best solutions are still though elite, so to speak. You know, they're they're very much out of reach of your common web developer. Uh, so in this case, have you do you use Google Hangouts for much? I know you work remotely. Uh, um, yes, we use it at work. Um, we we use Slack calls, like video. They, the video call is pretty decent now. Um. And but we also use Hangouts too. Have you noticed that Hangouts uh, has a new feature with captioning? Yes, it's actually really good. I it's uh I was really impressed. It's the it doesn't always keep pace with the things you're saying, but neither but, does but any live good. captioning. But I but the accuracy of what it's of of what it's capturing is pretty good though. It like I I will say that I was really impressed with it. So if you don't mm. know what we're talking about, back uh, in September. Hangouts released live captioning. This has been coming for a long time. If you've paid any attention to all the work that uh, uh, Google's been doing in speech-to-text. So they've bolted it on the Hangouts when you're in at least business Hangouts, like an apps Hangout, mm. not a personal Hangout. Um, I don't know, maybe personal Hangout has it now too. But in at least business Hangouts, there is a closed caption button, and if you hit it, mm-hmm. it is live transcribing what is being said, and it it's also like it it does things like take contextual clues. So if it thinks a word is one thing, but then it gets a few words yeah. after that that clearly means that word is another one, it edits it live in space for you and everything. It's very cool. Yeah. And they've done you know for for where we're at in terms of natural language processing uh th- and voice recognition, the quality is is great and I think that those are the kind of things where the future of accessibility is going to lie, not necessarily just in how do I make the thing on the screen accessible, but how could mm-hmm. I even provide different tools that elevate the accessibility? Uh, sure. But that tool is – it's a Google tool. It's not an open tool. It's not something you can just go pick up and throw into a Slack call or something like that right. yet. It will get there. Like all technology, it will get there. But I do think we're still a long way from that unfortunately it'd be funny if the if the nlp tool on this hypothetical domino's like accessibility handler was good enough that everyone started using it (laughs) no one used the interface yeah i mean but again (laughs) isn't is that not the mantra of everything we say good accessibility is good usability how cool would it be pretty cool to like be driving home and like Hit the hit the button on, or tell your Google Assistant or whatever to open up the app and order a pizza, and then Google Assistant could then seamlessly interface with this like natural language processing thing on the app. Oh man, like this is there's a lot of possibilities here. The lesson like, is very simple though. I think we're gonna hmm. have to update the ADA. Yeah, I think can. So what the what Scotus did, they said we're not gonna hear the case. The Ninth Circuit ruling stays, and that's the way that is. Of course, that only affects the Ninth Circuit because that's the way it works. But I think sooner or later, 
because of this sort of diversity in digital platforms, we're no longer we no longer talk about just websites or just web applications. We're talking about native applications. We're talking about mobile interfaces. We're talking about all of these different things. And I think something's going to have to give that says, you know, any digital platform with a, you know, non-physical interface has to maintain mm -hmm. reasonable accommodation as a tool of public accommodation. Like that's yeah. that's the phrase, right, that the ADA uses, place of public accommodation. And mm -hmm. and it was always applied in the manner to say and what they do, like and this is how it was rationalized with Target and Domino's, which is your app, while the app itself is not a physical place, it is part mm -hmm. of your public accommodation for your physical to yeah. interface with your physical location. So I, I think this is we're, we're at kind of a turning point here where the it's like that whole thing when you remember when everyone thought the internet was a fad like and the web was just going to die off or whatever yes so I I feel like this is kind of reaffirming like okay the internet's not a fad it's a thing we all kind of depend on it you saw a lot of arguments when um with the uh, retitling broadband as a title two or uh, sorry class two telecommunications device yeah platform um common carrier yes yeah so like how internet access isn't really just like a luxury or entertainment item anymore it's like a necessary thing that we all need and i, I think that we're seeing some of that dovetailing with the accessibility things too just it goes to show it's worth your time and effort as a developer as a designer to make sure you're thinking about this stuff Mm -hmm. Go learn basic accessibility. Go spend some time understanding why. Um, you can get uh, – it, it used to be one of the bigger problems was uh, access, no pun intended, for developers to screen readers because tools mm -hmm. like JAWS, you know, they were expensive and they weren't something you could just go install. Google Chrome has one yeah, screen reader. They, we've, yeah. we've got screen readers now that are just available as browser plugins. Mm -hmm. You can – Start up your phone. Your phone has a, a screen reader built into it, whether it's iOS mm -hmm. or Android. Go spin those things up and spend some time using them a little bit to understand. Because mm -hmm. that is one of the biggest hurdles as a developer is putting yourself in that seat. And so yeah. learning those tools, getting a feel for how they see your site so that you can get an idea of how your user sees your site can mm -hmm. be very educational. And then... Take the time, you know, ask somebody if you need to, whatever, go on Twitter and, and ask the question, tag it accessibility. Uh, there are a lot of people out there willing to answer those questions and help you understand, you know, how you do a modal accessibly, how, you know, mm -hmm. you know, which tags do you need to include, which tags are inferred, you know, ARIA label, uh, ARIA role, those things are useful, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of defaults, so you don't have to put ARIA role on everything. Uh, yeah. So take your time learn some of that start getting your feet wet and just get the uh, the, the andy tool andi andy yeah it's from i think it's from the social security yes they made it it's a free tool you just put in your browser bar it's a little bookmarklet and, and you on any page at all you just hit the button and then it runs uh, an accessibility audit on the page it's really it's really good and this is just a, a side thought have you ever uh sat down with somebody who was blind and watched them use a website not in person but over a screen uh, over a video call yeah the the speed with which they yes. listen to screen readers so fast oh my god 
I have good ears, <laughs> let me tell you. But when I actually watched somebody blind use a website with a screen reader, I was not prepared for how quickly that stuff. But it really does show, like, some of those bad. When we say things like, don't use text, like, read more or something yeah. like that, or click here. And everybody's like, yeah, but how bad is that really? When you start hearing it in those contexts, it's like... Click here, click here, click here, click here, click here, click here. Yeah, it, you real quickly <laughs> learn to understand and respect uh, some, of those, some of those usability issues. Okay, so that's, that's Domino's. Let us know what you think, uh, what your stance is, where you'd like to see additions, subtractions made to the ADA to accommodate this. I, at this point, I think the debate is over. I think the discussion is over. You know, with SCOTA saying we're not going to hear it, that's kind of it. So... Yeah, uh, I'll be interested to see what changes Domino's makes. We know it was a what was it thirty four thousand uh, dollars? I believe was the number that it was going to cost them, so to speak. To God, that's cheap. Uh, yeah, it's super cheap. Uh, but that doesn't mean it's easy. I don't have thirty four thousand dollars to just drop on something like that. But I mean, I've seen the bills that we've gotten from contractors at previous employers <laughs> for like design work and things, and thirty four thousand dollars is nothing. No. <laughs> I'll be interested to see what, you know, what the outcome of that is, uh, because it could happen very quickly now that, you know, there's nowhere else to appeal or, or do anything. So now they just have to do the work. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Let's. So I found something. This is just cool. I don't know. I, yeah. I liked it. I thought it was neat. I I thought it was a very clever website. Um, it's uh, strml.net. It's Samuel Reed's website. Um, it's Samuel T. I can't remember what his middle name was. R is Reed, and then ML, I'm guessing, is markup language, mm. machine learning. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Maybe lucky. M ML stands for something for him. Samuel is the CTO of uh, BitMEX, which is, I believe, a like a Bitcoin crypto uh, company. Okay. This is his uh, like personal sort of portfolio website. Uh, so strimmel.net. The reason this caught my eye is because it was listed as a self-coding website. <laughs> it, it, remember, remember Tailwind CSS? We covered yeah. it a few episodes back. They had a, a demo on on the page where they showed like uh like a container that had content, like a bio and contact info, and then it was like this animation of. CSS being written and applied, and as the CSS was written, it was applied to the container in real time with transitions and everything. And, and it reminded me of that, but like way, 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 way cooler. Yeah. Uh, so if you're interested in this uh, and and the way this works as we talk about it, I also have a link in the show notes to the GitHub repo. The, this whole site uh, of his is in GitHub, so you can go look at all the code that drives this and and what makes it happen and and learn what he's doing if you want to kind of get a feel for it you go to the site and it starts out as just a white page with a line of text on it and from there that line of text starts growing into css mm -hmm. he's using javascript to write out the css into the page as time progresses and mm -hmm. so it starts out with let's you know let's add a transition let's add a background color and so the page starts evolving in front of you as it goes. And yeah. the whole thing, what, I, I don't know if you sat through the whole deal. It takes about, was it yeah. three minutes? About that. It's, yeah, it's not long. The, the coolest part, I think, or well, one of the coolest parts was when, like, so a couple things just blip onto the page, like one after another. And then he does 
for CSS, he does like star bracket transition colon one second uh, bracket. And then, and I was like, oh, that's a weird thing. And the comment even says like, this will make sense in a minute. And then he's like doing other things. And as he's doing them, like the page is like slowly morphing into these different shapes and stuff. And um, I was like, oh. Yeah, so it, it gives you kind of an idea of what's happening. That, that As the code screen, so what happens is on the right-hand side of the screen, he ends up with what amounts to a text box um, with mm. all the CSS in it. As it's coming in, the way he is talking, quote-unquote, to the user is through code comments. So mm. there are all these code comments filling in between. So I'm just looking right now. Okay, we're going to start filling up the screen. Let's get ready to do some work. And then he says, okay, here's how this text will be styled. This is good, but all the text is white. Let's make it uh, even more readable. And so then he sets up all of these uh, classes for different types of text and gives them different colors. Uh, so a comment. He's like, so code comments are font style italic and our color uh, 857F6B, which is kind of a brown mm. gray and then colors for selectors and keys and values. So it, you know, you, what you end up with is like a syntax highlighting basically mm -hmm. for the CSS yeah. on the right hand panel. Resembles sublime. Yeah. Like yeah. Sublime. Yeah. Uh, just to make it easy to read. Uh, and, but all of these code comments are kind of helping you along as you're watching it happen. So you can kind of see what's, what's happening, why he's doing it. Very, very clever, very, uh, fancy way of kind of uh, approaching this i think what i like about it is if it's if you're learning some of this stuff still it's a very interesting way of learning what causes things to happen yes yes so for instance and you brought it up aaron one of the first things he does is set up a css transition mm -hmm. why does he do that because it allows the changes to uh transitions any any kind of transition to an element is a like a micro interaction and so it's mm -hmm. it's telling the user that something is happening that you should pay attention to as opposed to it just changing immediately it mm -hmm. in this case a, a one second transition gives your eyes a chance to recenter their focus and look at the thing that's being affected yeah. If it just changed, you would have your eyes would jump around the screen and things are changing quickly enough in some cases that you wouldn't necessarily be able to keep up without those transitions. So, yeah. It's very clever, very, you know, and it gives you an idea. So, how do CSS transitions work? That kind of explains it. It reminds me of CodePen, like when you see someone like yeah. give it, giving a CodePen as a demo, you can you can kind of t look under the hood and see how the different parts work. Um or, or like when uh, you watch like a time lapse of someone doing a drawing, like the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like, and so the equivalent of that would be like transforms. Mm -hmm. He's using transforms on the page, which let you do things like move elements around the page, rotate them, flip them. There's a lot of different transform uh, uh, commands you can give. In this particular case, I found it interesting because uh, he's moving these boxes around the page. And he's like, well, we're going to move the code box over to the right. And he's not mm -hmm. doing it with absolute positioning. He's not doing it with floats. He does it all with transforms. Right. And so it's an interesting way to learn a, a, you know, a new way to go about positioning. Because positioning is like the holy grail of CSS for the most part. Sure. Whether that's floats, CSS tables, CSS grids. Um, you know, the way we approach positioning things on a page has always been sort of that 
ultimate challenge from a responsive standpoint and design standpoint. So, and I'll be straight up honest, I never thought about using transforms as the way mm-hmm. of putting something somewhere. Did you, you watch it all the way to the very, very, very end? Yes. Did you see how he lets you, uh, like, change the styles by editing the style sheet text box? Yes. I, I didn't notice that the first time. Um, I haven't played with it at all, but that's really cool. So <laughs> that's using a technique. Uh, I don't know if you dug into how that's working or not, because that's a div. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it is a div, and it's full of markup, because uh, the way, like, all the syntax highlighting and stuff works is because he's marked it all up so that it has syntax highlighting. Mm-hmm. But the way that you can enter stuff in is that he has flagged the field, uh, or the node, rather, the div, with an attribute called content editable. Content. Yeah. Which is an increase. That's, you know, it's a fairly popular approach in things like Node and Angular, or not Node, but uh, um, Angular and Vue and and some of these front-end frameworks to build elements on pages. Like, so when we talk about things like Gutenberg, uh, some of these visual editors, rather than using text fields and stuff like that, what they'll do is they'll put in an H1 and set it as content editable. So you're actually editing mm-hmm. the H1 in space. Uh, that's It's just a very neat technique. It's not something you see a lot of yet. And um, it's yeah. something that if it's your first time uh, having seen that, you know, it could be useful to go in there and kind of get a feel for it and how that's then plumbing into his JavaScript and things like that. Mm-hmm. What I... I love this, you know, so I said uh, transitions, transforms, box shadow. If you've ever, Mm -hmm. you know, played with box shadow or not, he's got some of that in there. VH, VH units he relies on heavily. That's something a lot of people haven't played with too much, which not not vertical height, it's viewport height. Uh, So it functions as like a percentage of your viewport height. Weird. Yeah, so like 90 VH is basically saying 90% of the viewport. Uh, it's a good way of cool. doing proportional uh, proportional scaling. There's VH and VW, yeah. viewport width. Oh, yeah, I see it now. Okay. So, you know, it's that's another one that's just a good way to kind of get exposure to something that you may not have seen in use before. Mm-hmm. It also can be confusing, even though it's a pretty simple, you know, 100% type scale proportion thing. Um Transitioning from normal percentages or REMs or M's or anything like that, or FRs, FRs is one of the new units. Those all are much easier to learn when you see them in practice, I think. So it's, I, yeah. I, I, I was a big fan, and, and I think uh, the reason this stands out to me is we talk a lot about you know how you get a job, how you interview, and things like that. Mm-hmm. I'm always telling people, portfolio, portfolio, portfolio. We talked about it in the last episode with uh, with mm-hmm. Megan Alicia and talking about mm-hmm. how important the portfolios you make out of a boot camp are to helping you get a job. Yeah. And developers sometimes have, I think, a problem understanding how do you make a portfolio with code? <laughs> right. And this is like, I think, one of the best ways possible for a developer to make a portfolio because you are literally showing off your coding skill on your website and doing it not through a read what I made. It's watch how what I made does things. Yeah. You could add all kinds of stuff into a, a, a approach like this, whether that's, let's say you're a, an infographics designer. That's a like a whole sub specialty unto itself. And it's incredibly complex. 
Uh, right. I don't know. Have you ever done any work with D3 or the charts API? Very, or I looked at it briefly once when we were exploring some uh, data viz stuff. I, not a lot though. Oh my God. It's really, I, I mean, I've seen the demos and I've seen the kinds of things that you can do with it and it's kind of mind blowing. Oh yeah. No, <laughs> it is dense, dense, dense. Um, we've used it for several projects now and every time we go into it, we're kind of like, how are we going to make this happen? And we always figure it out, but it definitely is one of those things that like, if you are a specialty in data viz, throw a page up that puts up a basic bar graph and then have it live change to, you know, uh, a line graph to a, mm -hmm. you know, dual access or I don't know all the, the words for some of these because uh, I'm not a yeah. data viz designer, but you know, the little floating bubble chart or, you know, right. convert the data into a, a geo map uh, weighted type of deal. There's all of these things you can do and mm -hmm. showing that off and, and, you know, throw hover states into it, throw um, accessibility features into it. That was one way we did it. Uh, we, you know, we embed a table and the table is used mm -hmm. to generate the data viz. So show how you start with just a table, you know, a normal HTML table of information and then it, you hide it and you're like, okay, we've hidden it. Now we're going to show you the chart and throw that up there. There's, there's all these ways. I'm, I'm excited about this because I think like <laughs> if somebody brought me this, if they were interviewing for like a junior dev role or something with me and they wanted to show me what their skills were, what they'd done in a boot camp or something like that, and they said, hey, look at this and showed me a site like Sam's, man, I would be super excited and super stoked about it because I, oh, totally. I think this is a, it's clever. Uh, it's, demonstrative mm -hmm. it it shows you care about what you're making it's entertaining too it's, yeah it's like, entertaining it's, you don't know what's gonna happen it's like oh what's next where's he gonna put this <laughs> you know you you mentioned that and i think what one of the important parts there that can't be i think stressed enough is it shows he can communicate mm-hmm you know, when you start reading, because the whole, again, the whole way he's doing this is through code comments. The code comments are telling you the story as the site builds out. Yeah. And so what he's doing there is he's saying, I am capable of writing stuff that does things and explaining that. And mm -hmm. that by itself is so important, whether it's CSS, JavaScript, mm -hmm. Ruby, PHP. If you can document your code in a way that explains to the user what's happening, that is it's so valuable for a team or a company. So years ago, and I think this would have been around 2004. I was learning Ajax. I got the a book from I think from A Press. It was like beginning Ajax and PHP. And this was, I think, jQuery existed and had Ajax stuff in it, but it wasn't nearly as widely used as it is now. So I learned how to make like an XML HTTP request manually. Yeah, the whole thing. And so um, the project I made to sort of like test it out, but also show that I can do it was, you remember Mad Libs? Yeah. Yeah. So I took, I started with an actual Mad Lib and then I just, you know, each of the spots that had a blank, it was a link. And then you would click on the link and then it would go and fetch a random word from the server that was that part of speech and then dump it into that spot. And then there was also another button that you could click that would just fill in all of them with random words. Um, and it was actually pretty entertaining. And then I, I did the same thing with some like um, public domain stuff. Like I, I took uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet 
and I randomly swapped out some of the words with uh, blanks. And it could pull from the same word base because it was, you know, parts of speech are parts of speech. Right. Um, anyways, it was it was fun and it was, I think, entertaining. My English professor liked it. Um, and I got to, like, show that I could actually like act act on a, a technology that i had learned so it's you know i think it goes to show right that we the medium we work in is interactive and if you're building interactive things why are we approaching portfolios as a link to my github repo you know or mm. a, a list of my projects and here's my linkedin profile like yeah. That we have so many better ways to show, hey, I'm a developer. I build cool things. Here's how you can see what my skills are. Uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm I'm just really excited. I think by mm-hmm. this idea, and it's it's even got me thinking about how do I showcase my work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I have a personal website, but it's I I have literally not written oh a post for it in almost a year. Um, same. And most of the stuff that's on it is <laughs> personal. It's not like work related. I've got I've right. got a .dev domain. I've got my dev. So what better way to utilize that? Because that, that's like the and not to uh, glad hand to the uh, sponsors too much, but you know like .dot design. I've said before a .dot design domain name is the perfect way if you are a UI UX person, a front end designer, uh, you know, even a product designer or something like that. That's a great type of domain to grab and set up your portfolio on. Uh, and dot dev is sort of the same thing. If you're somebody who does any kind of coding, I've been using it for like literally somewhere to put work. Like I've been using it as a development yeah. domain, but I could also use the front page at the very least. If you go to fiend dot dev, I should give you something that shows you know, my work, if I ever needed mm-hmm. to send it, not just like job hunting because I'm not doing that, but maybe I'm going to try to be a speaker at an event and they want to know that I know what I'm talking about. Cause I've not, you know, yeah. I've not submitted to them before I can send them that and they can see the quality of my work to know that I know how to talk about the things I'm building. So mm-hmm. it's, it's got me thinking. And when something gets me thinking like that, I find it, you know, very exciting. <laughs> I think uh, so, uh, to put a point on what you're saying, if everyone is giving out, you know, GitHub repositories and LinkedIn profiles and things, they're they're showing like this is the code I can make, which is, I mean, useful. Like it's it's useful to look at that, and you should share those things. But I think that something that Sam does here and that you're touching on also is show like what does the finished product look like? Let let people interact with it and feel like you know the the little bit of excitement of seeing the finished product and seeing that it works um and so you can get uh there's lots of free opportunities out there like you can get heroku for deployment for a bunch of different kinds of stuff new rails and i think probably react anything with you can be built yeah heroku supports quite a few things yeah um there's if you uh if you want to have a little more control over it you know just Five bucks a month can get you a really low bandwidth server instance on like DigitalOcean or another host. It you know, it's a good investment, especially if you're looking for work or want to maintain a, a like a professional presence online. Yeah. So go go check it out. It's strml.net. Uh, watch it three minutes, give or take, is all it takes to mm-hmm. to watch through it. It's neat. Um, in the 
footer, so to speak, of the page. There's a link to the GitHub, so you can go through and view source on it and see exactly, like, the page itself is incredibly clean and tidy. There's not much to it. It's done yeah. with a ton of JavaScript, though, and it's, you know, it's pretty high-end JavaScript in terms of, you know, what's happening there, so that there's a lot that I think that can be learned in terms of that. Mm-hmm. So go check it out. See, you know, think about how, you know, you build your portfolio or how you want to present some of the projects that you've built or the skills, showcase the skills you have. And uh, again, let us know. I would love to see kind of how, or if you have something like that, if you've done something you think is, is super clever mm-hmm. to show off your Ooh, work, yeah. um, I'd love to see it. Uh, I think that would be that would be real cool. How about we just do like an open call to like anyone who has a portfolio site that they'd like to share. We can put it in like the this post for, yeah, this, yeah. Po- for this podcast. But one of these days we'll have to do an episode like, I don't know if you know who Jared Polin is. Um, Fronosphoto.com. Uh, he's a photographer that I follow. Um, he, uh, he'll do like, he'll actually do portfolio reviews on YouTube videos for people, oh, cool. which that might be an interesting, uh, future show topic. Maybe if somebody wants to send us a portfolio. That could be cool. Yeah. So the last thing, and it's, it's on a similar vein, kind of, I guess, uh, there was an article over at, uh, dev two. I don't know what the name of that site is actually. It's, I just say dev two. I guess that's all it really is. Dev dot two. T-O. Dot, yeah, yeah, dot T-O. Yeah. Um, it's a developer blogging community. Think Medium, but for mm. developers and without that's, all the crap a... that Medium does. You know, for the longest time, I thought Dev2 was just a domain that was proxying Medium. You know, like a lot of domains will do yeah. that. Yeah. I thought that's what it was. I didn't realize it was a different it, You know what? It, and what it's always made me think of is it's kind of like a the Reddit of uh, – or not Reddit, the Craigslist of blogging. Like their their design and approach to layout and everything has a very almost brutalist kind of feel to it. It's not pretty. Like it's not a website designed to look super nice. It's a website designed to let you post articles, and that's it. Yeah, uh, it's just yeah, it's just one of those funny things when you see because when you see it, it's like this is not the best looking website. <laughs> I think that there's I think that there's a lot of value in just like clearly and you know very simply communicating content so that the content can take center stage yeah. and the design is just sort of you know just sits there and does its Absolutely. job. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and it's for them it's effective. I'm not saying that like as a criticism. It it works for what they're doing. Um That's neither here nor there. Uh, the article is my favorite CSS hack. <laughs> this is this is another one that maybe one day might warrant a bigger overall discussion as to like maybe some spe- a lot of specific hacks, but I wanted to talk about a couple, and I wanted to talk about the one in this article because it's very clever. I've used it before. Uh, it's it's a very neat way of doing something that you know uh, you can do in things like uh, Inspector and uh, mm-hmm. Dev Tools and stuff like that, but. Yeah. What it is, you see it, and it's it's the first thing in the article. Uh, it's star, background color, and then a, a color with a opacity applied. Then it's star, star, with a slightly different color. Then it's star, 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 slightly different color. Star, 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 slightly different color. All the way down to, like, ten levels deep, or nine levels yeah. deep, or something like that. The idea behind it is, you throw this in your style sheet, and what it does is that... I've I've done a modified version of this, and the way I modify it is I also have a border uh, applied with mm-hmm. it, but 
the background color works basically just as fine as well. But when you throw it in your style sheet, it highlights everything on the page that's, a, you know, that are, uh, I mean, block level, inline, whatever. But it lets you basically mm -hmm. see every element on the page and how it is aligning with everything on the page. And since the colors yeah. use opacity, it allows you to, lay like, if it was all red, it wouldn't do you any good. But this lets things right. layer such that uh, you can get contrast between them and see, you know, pretty deeply. And, and keeping in mind that, like, even if you have 30 levels of stuff, this still works mm -hmm. because the opacity still stacks and it'll just, you know, default to the last selector basically over and over and it'll keep getting darker. I'd love to see like a really cool color gradient, but like, you know, it's like a flame gradient or something where it just, I don't know. There's a lot. I, I love seeing cool stuff done with color and this, I bet there's some cool things you could do with it. Yeah, and it's, it's just a very clever kind of approach to, you know, debugging layout basically in that, mm -hmm. you know, you can see where overflows are. You can see where your margins or mm. padding are, you know, misaligned. What I really like is, uh, and one thing that I've had a problem with this, I'm sure other people have too, is with uh, not consistently using padding and margin, mm -hmm. using margin in some places, padding in other places to effectively produce the same spacing. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't produce the same behavior because a margin and a pad are two different things. And just for the sake of consistency and, and behavior, uh, that can get kind of wonky. And so this mm -hmm. lets you see that very easily as a result. Um, the example they use is time. So they've got a screenshot of what this looks like um, applied to the time website. Oh, time magazine, time magazine, not time the measurement of passage of. Yeah, we've, I've been to the future. I've already explained this. I've been there. <laughs> I have the technology. <laughs> This is <laughs> thought leader of cloud computing. <laughs> That's an inside joke. Nobody gets to actually hear the, the start to. Sorry, but I'm glad he's enjoying it because it was the most clever thing I'll say all day. Actually, as I'm scrolling, I've got the article up in front of me, and I just happened to hit the comments, and I see down in the comments somebody actually did the thing that I had said, which is they apply a, a border, and they screenshotted it with, with borders applied. But you can do this. The, the thing about this and what makes it so neat is that the basic hack just uses the star selector, and so if, if you've played with CSS, you probably know the star selector matches anything. It's a wild card. Mm -hmm. You can, of course, change this such that it matches all your divs, all your paragraphs, all your sections. Right. You could, you could do it such that, you know, it's section star, div star, so that children of different elements get different colors and things like that. So that if you wanted to really sort of, you know, supercharge the way that you look at your layout, you can do that. Now, I mentioned in the debug inspector, the dev tools in the browser, you know, they have ways of doing this. Firefox, I believe, is the one like they've got a actually a really great uh, block level visualizer of a page. I forget where exactly it is in the dev tools offhand, but it does basically this. You can just hover over. You, the yeah, you can hover, which is fine for looking at individual things. But sometimes you want to see how it fits the overall, you know, the overall scheme. Um, um, I think if you're gonna the the colors, the colors are super useful, but it can like. 
add cognitive load if you have to remember, oh, I did purple for first level and orange for second level and blue for third level. Instead, if you do a series of colors, like if you did a rainbow or like a color progression or something that progressed, you know, you could do like cool to warm or something like that. It will make a lot more sense when you just look at the page. You'll intuit like, oh, this is a very deep element because it's a cold color. And this element is very near to me because it's a warm but, color. And the nice thing about the approach that's in this article is if you utilize opacity, you can do exactly that. So it just set everything to the same color and same opacity because as things layer, that opacity is going to stack. And it's going to make the color mm-hmm. darker as you get deeper into the DOM. Yeah. So in, in this case, they're, they're using RGBA. And so the example is basically it starts off with 255.00.2. Then it's 0.255.0.2. Then it's 00.255.2. So they're cycling, you know, they're turning red on and off, green on and off, blue on and off, or uh, yeah, blue. And then they start in with like 255.0.255. This is a very simple, straightforward way, but if you just wanted to say, well, we'll just do it all, you know, with red and just do 255.00.2, as those elements layer, the opacity is going to make that red darker and darker the deeper you get. So they're, that, that's the easiest solution. They're using the color change as a means of showing depth, um, as opposed to using color darkness, basically, is kind of what that amounts to. Darkness does still factor in because it is still layered and it is still... Uh, 20% opacity, but um, the, the idea is definitely there. Right. We use a lot of other CSS hacks. Um, and A, as always, I would love to hear which ones you use. Um, I think a, a, a big part of this is over time, a lot of us start to create our own libraries. Um, I mm-hmm. used to run an Evernote uh, doc that I just always kept all these little code snippets in that I used a lot. Some of them were for debugging. Some of them were to accomplish tasks. We used to do this a lot mm-hmm. with ClearFix. ClearFix mm-hmm. was one of these hacks yeah. sort of that we always use to make sure that elements that would properly clear floated elements um, as a wrapper. Uh, yeah. Resets and normalization. You still see mm-hmm. fairly common um, to include like a reset CSS or something or a normalization CSS before custom so that in theory you're making every browser look the same. Uh, that counts mm-hmm. as a hack in my book. Uh, I I like seeing stuff using attributes. Mm-hmm. This is something we've we talked about uh, in the CSS episode here uh, a few episodes back about using the attribute function in CSS to layer content, CSS content and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's also an interesting way, like let's say you're trying to debug a page and you're trying to see where all your links are. You can use the attribute mm-hmm. function to grab the href and stick it in after right. an A tag as CSS content. I remember that being a um an accessibility tool. Yeah. Like like uh when like if you do it for a print layout, you have the the link and then you have it immediately do a content attribute, content style attribute to show the link after the thing. Although that is problematic when you have super, super long links with tracking data, then it looks Oh, gross. Yeah, definitely. But, yeah. But it still works relatively well. Mm-hmm. Um, that you used to see it a lot in production. People would use things like that, um, or or uh, custom selectors sometimes to do things afterwards, mm-hmm. like you know a little PDF icon or an away. Like Wikipedia mm-hmm. uses the little away icon for yes. outbound links. 
I was just thinking about that. Yeah, there there was a we did that at when I was at IU. We would do um we had that the Wikipedia icon when it would take you when it would open in another window or take you to a different page outside of the area you were in and then we used the globe icon when it would take you to a different site. Yeah. And then a PDF icon when it was a PDF. I'm icon. a big fan of that personally. Mm-hmm. I think it adds context without impacting yeah. uh uh layout and, and things like that. But a tribute can be incredibly useful for adding context in space, whether mm-hmm. even for users as well, but especially when you're debugging something or trying to figure out, uh, you know, for instance, if you've got a web app that has links in it and the links themselves are triggers to do things, and let's say it changes or the value of the href changes or something like that, you can use that as a means of showing those kinds of changes. Mm-hmm. Uh one of the other ones that I uh, found recently, I didn't know this was another one of those things. Like I didn't know this existed until I started playing with it. Uh, counter counter CSS um, counters. I don't know that one. Yeah, exactly. Right. I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's incredibly well known. It's, it is a triad of attributes counter counter reset and counter increment. And the way that uh, I've, the way that I was applying it, was to style an ordered list. I wanted to apply a customized number to the start of an ordered list, and that was the solution that I found. But it's neat because it lets you set up custom incrementers, basically, on different selectors and different elements, and you can print that out to the page, which is fantastic for things like trying to visualize uh, like an outline, like a document outline, a table of contents, Mm -hmm things like that you can you okay. can use that as a means of you know saying this is chapter 1 chapter 2 chapter 3 and do that programmatically and do it in css so it's like whatever would be seen for like nth child yeah it's the end. yeah it it gives you a way Whoa. to create in and access in you can nest ins you can do all of these things with it so um, so you, what you do is you set up the counter on the element, you set up the reset to whatever uh, it needs to reset to and what it's incrementing on. And that's and cool. it just, yeah, it, like it's that. just a very simple kind of thing. It's, it's limited in usefulness granted, but mm-hmm. let's say, you know, you're concerned about the number of links on a page. You can use mm-hmm. that to very quickly. I mean, you can do it in JavaScript, of course, too. just count, you know, query selector and and see or query selector all and see how big your node list is but maybe you so and here's maybe the the use case for this is maybe you want to show it in the editor to your content person so if they're content editable so that every time your content editor adds a link to the page it shows them this is the Mm -hmm. 43rd link you've put on this page you know and then you know they can decide well is this too many links because it probably is or you could I bet you could do something where you find every image or you count how many images don't have alt text. Um, I bet you could, you could probably match do the that actually alt attribute. Yeah. Alt attribute is empty. Yeah. Use, you know, yeah. Alt empty or, or, or is it empty or is it not? I forget which one would be appropriate there. Um, I think empty yeah. is what you would I guess- want. The gotcha there is that sometimes you do want to have an empty alt tag sure. if it's a decorative image. But it's a starting yeah. place. Um, empty, yeah. you have to be careful with empty because I can't remember if empty applies to the value or applies to the the inner text of the node. 
Like there was there was a hack a while back for CSS that involved um, if you needed like layout divs or something like that for something, mm-hmm. you could use empty as a means of styling it. And you could mm. affect it by doing things like putting a code comment in, like an HTML comment into it. And that uh-huh. would break the empty state of it. Even though there's visually no inner text, the right. note itself wasn't empty. Or the other way around, I forget the exact way that was being utilized, but I know that that all factored in. That's but that's cool. why I just say like empty is kind of one of those weird ones. But there are always ways of, of yeah, figuring this kind of stuff out. There's... So this isn't really a CSS hack per se, uh, because it's the intended use of this thing, but it's something that I don't see often enough. And that's, um, I see a lot of sites that don't have print CSS files. Hmm. Um, it's the, w- when you have your list of style sheets that you're including, you make a very, very last one that has specifically has the attribute media equals print. And, and then you have this style sheet override any styles necessary to like hide or reformat anything on the page that would make it print friendly. And then when you go in your browser, when you go to print the page, it will incorporate that style sheet, but only when you're printing, it'll ignore it. Otherwise it's, this is totally, I mean, it's not a hack. Like it's, this is the thing you're supposed to do, but I just don't see it very often. And it's so easy. You know what it uh, actually is kind of a hack for, and this is going to take us, you've (laughs) done a good job bringing us full circle. (laughs) <laughs> as from an accessibility standpoint a print style sheet mm-hmm. can be a good way of getting a feel for how a screen reader sees your site oh yeah actually it makes not exactly necessarily yeah. but it you can use it in such a way as to show like what a linearized version of your page looks like because that's mm-hmm. oftentimes when you do a print style sheet you'll do things like you know, hide the sidebar or throw it out or move yeah. it or something so that it's not taking up I print will, space I will st- I straight go up into the DOM inspector in my browser and I will just like aggressively delete every little like container and add and everything else so it's just the content I want if they don't have a print style sheet. Because I'm not wasting paper and I don't want your damn ads on my printout. <laughs> I just want the well, rest of it. That's really all I want. Aaron. <laughs> Folks, uh, if you've got your own CSS hacks or, or just snippets, tools that you like, let us know. If you've got a little library that you've built that you are that you find really useful or that you go back to a lot. We'd love to see it. Um, shoot us a message, a tweet, uh, drop us a line at the website, let us know. Um, for now, we're going to take a quick break and come back, and uh, we'll talk about other stuff. This episode of the Drunken UX Podcast is brought to you by something really cool. It's an alternative to .com. It's the .design domain name. I'm a big fan of interesting, unique website names, so if you're a designer and you've thought of the perfect name for your website and it isn't available under .com, check out .design. Chances are the domain name you want is waiting for you. Head to porkbun.com and use the coupon code DRUNKENUX on the checkout page to get a free .design domain name for your website. Face it, there are no good .coms left. Years down the road, we're going to care about cool, nice URLs that are relevant to the website you're going to. And the fact that there's so many TLDs to choose from, you really can get a domain name that's right for you and right for your business. Dot .design is a great one. Visit porkmun.com now and use the coupon code DRUNKENUX at checkout and literally get a year of a dot .design domain name for free. It's bundled with free email hosting, who is privacy, and SSL certs. That's a lot for nothing. Forget dot .coms. 
Design is widely used. There's Airbnb.design, Facebook.design, Uber.design, Adobe.design, and so many more. Google doesn't care. It functions the same way as a .com or .org. It's just more interesting. It's better branding. It looks great on resumes or business cards, and it looks awesome on email addresses. Dot .design reflects what you do as a designer. Did we mention it's free and includes a year of email hosting, who is privacy, and SSL certs, and all of that stuff? Just go to porkbun.com and use coupon code DRUNKENUX at checkout. Welcome back. I wanted to plug one more time. This is the glorious month of Hacktoberfest. I'm getting my shirt get this up year, damn it. I forgot last year. I've got I've got two so far, and this year it is like 80s like synthwave, hot pink, hot blue, 8-bit kind of thing. It's awesome. I'm super stoked to get it. Um, if you're interested in doing this, you just go to Hacktoberfest, spelled just like it sounds, .digitalocean.com and there's a sign up link you can sign up anytime this month even like October 31st at 11pm although it's going to be hard to get 5 PRs in in an hour uh, and then you just submit 5 pull requests like submit legitimate pull requests to any public repositories on GitHub and that's it and then they will track your progress on that site that I just mentioned um, and when you get all 5 in in a month or two, you'll get a cool T-shirt and a sticker. It's great. We'll have a link in the show notes to it too, so you don't have to remember yes. all of that. Or just Google Hacktoberfest. We've been. Um, this is perhaps a topic for a different time, but we've been doing aggressively making issues and things and doing PR reviews for our Decker-based project. Um, we've had eleven brand new contributors to our project since the beginning of the month alone. So it's pretty great. And if you're out and about in Milwaukee uh, this coming week, actually right now, literally as you're listening to this uh, because of the release timing of everything, um, I'm going to be up at High Ed Web up in Milwaukee. Uh, I'll be there from today's release until Wednesday. And so if you see me out and about, feel free to stop me, grab me. I'll have some giveaways. We'll be doing a a couple of... little uh, prize giveaways during the conference and I'll have some stickers and coasters and stuff. Maybe. I may run out quickly. I don't know. Uh, but it That's where the beer's cold and the people are warm, uh, right? I wouldn't know the latter but I'm sure the former is probably true. <laughs> um, I, I don't think they uh, smile upon randomly checking people's temperatures without consent. <laughs> oh, I mean like, like Oh, friendly. yeah. I mean, that's probably true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I assume they're all 98.6 degrees. Great conference. Uh, there's a ton of material. Uh, check out uh, the HEWeb19 hashtag on Twitter. There'll be a ton of stuff getting shared uh, while this is all going on, I assure you. Uh, in fact, today is technically the first day of sessions. Uh, it runs Monday through Wednesday. There was some stuff on Sunday, but those are uh, uh, more like workshops. But check that out. Uh, if you see me, feel free to give me a yell. Uh, be on the lookout on our Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram. Those are twitter.com slash drunkenux, facebook.com slash drunkenux, instagram.com slash drunkenux podcast. I'll be, I'll be sharing Ooh. out some stuff about how to win some of the giveaways if you're up there. Um, so that will be something to keep your eyes peeled for. Uh, if you want to chat with us while you're there or not, it doesn't matter. You can go to drunkenux.com slash slack and join us. Uh, there and share anything share us you know what what you think needs to be done to the ada to make it better give us some of your own css hacks that you really enjoy or Mm -hmm. share your portfolio with us we'd love to see what you're doing and and i really 
I legit want to see your portfolio. I think that would be very cool. It would be super cool. Um, Otherwise, uh, the other thing to keep in mind is that we are coming up on the end of the season. Um, We're going to be knocking out on our end. You'll never know, but we're going to be recording a bunch of episodes very close together so that we can take the end of the year off. But you'll still get content throughout the end of the season. We'll be back in Season Mm -hmm. 3. If you have any topics that you would like to hear covered um, that you have a particular interest in, be sure to let us know and we can get that on the list you can do that again through all of the things we've already said there's a form on the site anything like that uh but let us know uh because we'll be lining up those topics very quickly uh, and and we're looking forward to that there's uh advice coming there's tips and tricks coming there's tools coming all of these different things uh, and it all kind of just comes down to at the end of the day every time we do the episode we like making sure that you do one thing and that's keep your personas close and your users closer oh well done. I didn't I see that one well, coming. Well, well done. Uh, I I did it for you, but I also do it for them. 